Hello and welcome to episode three of Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm here in Slack House Farm today, charming converted barn tea room in the northeastern corner of the county. And I'm here with Mark Richards. Morning, Mark. <laughs> Hello, David. Great to see you. Good to see you. We've had great weather on the last two um, country strides. Not quite so today. Uh, we, we were thinking about postponing. I think we can cope. And it is pertinent to the story that we're covering today. It's an agricultural landscape that has had to cope generation upon generation with weather. We're going to two very distinctively different farms on our walk today. Well, we're starting with Eric Horn, who has an Ayrshire herd of cows. He's been milking them for many years, and he produces his own yoghurt and cheese, and farms with a keen eye for the herbage and continuity, and he's very organic in his approach. So fertiliser sprays, chemicals are frowned on by him, and he makes a strenuous effort to represent a sustainable style of farming. Our second farm, High House Farm, this is a truly traditional farm where the farmer has got many generations connection with that landscape and has sustained the farming practices that go back into history. Tell us about the walk itself today, Mark. We're walking from uh, the tea room here at Slack House Farm and, and where are we going? Initially, we'll look around the farm itself and then we'll follow the Maiden Way Roman Road, which is a bridal way, to Bird Oswald Roman Fort, which up until a generation ago was still a working farm. And then we'll follow the National Trail, Hadrian's Wall Path, to the High House Farm. So in effect, we're linking two farms, but all the time there is a continuity that expands beyond it. And so I, I, will, I will talk about the greater landscape as well during the course of it. It sounds fascinating, uh, and a little bit about where we are here as well, uh, Mark, in this um, top northeastern corner. It, it took me uh, an hour and a half to drive here from Keswick. We really are up in the sticks here, the borderlands, approaching the borderlands. Indeed, we're in an area that many have called the debatable lands, mm. which originally was the baitable lands, actually, right. which means the grazed area. So cattle are fundamental to this landscape. And settlement was always sparse and there were very few nucleated communities in the area. So you are looking at it, and although you might see forestry to the north, originally this was a great sweeping grazed landscape. And being aware of that is to understand the past and the future. I can't wait. It sounds fantastic. Tea has run out in this lovely tea room, so I think we should get our boots on and head out into the farmyard. Okay, we'll go and see Eric. Cheers. Hello, Eric. Great to see you. Oh, Mark. Yeah. Lovely to see you. Where, now, you've been here at Slack House for quite a few years. Where do you come from originally? Well, we, we came from West Yorkshire, near Home Firth. Right, last and, of the summer wine country. Last of the summer wine country, and and uh, it was a small farm where I was brought up, mm. and and sort of farming gets into your blood, you know. And uh, I tried other things, but I always came back to the farming. Right, your dad was into farming. Yeah, uh, it, with only thirteen acres, would you believe? Crikey, you know, and 
used to, it was so careful, he used to plough a field or get someone to plough a field with, by, with horses. Right. And then he'd go around the outside with a spade <laughs> to finish it off. And right. I can just about remember, you know, the, the pre-chemical era. Right. So there was no, it, everything was organic. Right. So there were no sprays. No fertilizer. I can just about remember that. There were so many small farms. Mm. My father's job, his, his day job, if you like, was to go around and, and collect the milk churns from all the other farms in, in the area. Right. And, and in the home valley, there were over 30 small farms producing milk. Sometimes just, just one or two churns, you know, by right. the roadside. And uh, now there are none left, they've no. all gone. It's intriguing me why you moved from Yorkshire to this particular farm. Sometimes these things are meant to happen, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, we'd looked around for what we would do when, when our family grew up. Mm -hmm. We found ourselves living in a, a house in Barnsley um, with, with a, a small garden. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, they had to cut the grass every... <laughs> and got so frustrated by this and uh, at that time I mean Dan my wife we got together because we wanted to farm you know that, that that's that's what keeps us going so we wanted to get back to, to farming and we saw this small farm advertised uh, 40 acres mm. and we looked at, at what it was going to cost and, and, and what we could sell our house for because house prices were, were rocketing at that time and and, uh, and then put it all down on paper and went to the bank manager and he just laughed at us. He says, I'd never get this bassy agriculture specialist, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh. And uh, he says, anyway, I'll see what I can do. And, and he got back to us and he says, uh, I, I could lose my job over this. <laughs> I'm going to give you the money, you know. Brilliant. <laughs> and, and, well, you, and you've got a different, uh, an unusual breed of cows as well, in terms of most modern dairy herds. Well, we've all stuck with the Ayrshire's because I was brought up with the Ayrshire's. Mm -hmm. And um, they fit in, in well because it, on, on this... Kind uh, of this kind of land, we need small animals, we don't want right, to be They're compact, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and what size of herd do you have? Uh, maximum about 30 milking cows. Mm. That's manageable, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it's, it's a small, I think it's the smallest herd in, in the county now. Gosh. But, uh, I, I, you know, we've had this, this idea that we didn't want to go big. Mm. You know, we didn't, we, we wanted to farm as we want it to farm you know that's it it's a vicious circle going big oh yeah and uh, yeah. it's sort of never-ending chain of you have to keep improving improving but that actually isn't improving at the end of the day oh, it, it isn't no and you know i've been i've been through the mill you know i've mm. done all the intensive stuff worked on 200 cow herds and i've, I've seen that side mm. and i got to the stage where i never wanted to milk another cow I never wanted to see another cow. It's remarkable it, it that you fought, me off fought so back, much. yeah. So anyway, we will have a little wander around and see your herd. Yeah, I certainly. Well, Eric, you brought me out into the field. Under, under my feet 
is a lovely pasture. The sun's come out now, which is a nice contrast. Uh, and there's lots of birds. Um, I believe you've got an interest in wildlife. Yeah, what we did when we came here, we joined the conservation group. Well, we've always been in conservation groups, but, but we, we found um, with an eye on conservation and, and there were schemes going to plant trees and, and hedges and things. So we, we joined the scheme and, and over the years we've, we've planted uh, over a mile of new hedges. How fabulous! And, and restored a lot of the dry stone walls. And, and tried to put it back as it, as it was, you know. Right, yeah. We don't just farm here alone. <laughs> we farm here with absolutely masses of wildlife, you know. I was working the top end of the farm in, in the summer and I saw something move out the corner of my eye just a few yards away and it was three fox cubs oh, playing under the tree. Yeah, and I sat and watched them and, uh, you know. <laughs> That's magic, absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, we'll have a little, another little one then. We're coming quite close to the road now, and um, it's interesting, Eric, that there's a lot of swallows swishing through the air just here, just above our heads, which on a breezy day like today uh, is very animated. They're just about to fly away, I would have thought. Yeah, I would get masses of swallows here. You know, you think, well, where on earth have they all been, been born, you know, mm. because we, we have... Uh, several nests on the farm but, but not that number they seem to come from all over the place yes yeah obviously congregate here for a special reason yeah now any other birds you've seen at this time of year recently uh well i've seen the first geese this morning flying right. west you think well you know it can't be autumn yet you know no. just hold on <laughs> just go back to where you came from quite they're heading to up there because <laughs> the locks uh, the luffs uh, along the wall there is where a lot of them congregate but they're heading towards the solway here yeah and yeah. Uh, it's the time of year when when birds are migrating in many directions yeah. well, we hit the road here which is a the B618, Eric, which I... Vix 6318. Right, that's it. Right. Which I understand is the longest B road in Britain. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't surprise me in the least because people just go, go along here and, and we don't see them for three weeks. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and here's one coming now. They don't take prisoners. <laughs> anyway, I'm intrigued by the trees you were mentioning as we were just strolling along there. You mentioned about uh, that uh, sweet chestnut there. Well, how come that's in the hedge? Yeah, well, uh, that's a tree that was planted by Brian Laidlow, a, a chappie that um, used to see pretty regular. Uh, it, it was um, a chap that helped all the, the neighbouring farmers mm. uh, making hay and, and, and doing stock work and things. He could turn his hand to anything. But he lived just down the road here in, in a cottage with, with no services and uh, lived by himself and, and his chickens and that. Oh, yes. And, and he liked planting trees and and, uh, and the daffodils were seen in the springtime. He planted a lot of them. I know this road is lined with daffodils and it mm. always catches your attention. So we can actually pinpoint to the man who lovingly planted them. Anyway, we'll pop down to the farm now. Right, right. Well, Eric, you've brought me into the dairy. Uh, uh, milky milk. powder. That's the one. Yeah. I can mention that I have with me now Diane Horn, uh, your dear wife, 
This farm wouldn't be where it is today without Diane. It's lovely to see you, Diane. And you too, Mark. Now, you, you're very keen on far, going to farmers' markets and con communicating with, uh, with a, an audience about what you're trying to do. Uh, and how many farmers' markets do you service? We do uh, six regular ones each month. Um, we do one every Saturday, and then Brampton Market, Eric does on the last Saturday of every month, and then we've got Greenhead, which is a Sunday market right. as well. So that they're all relatively local markets. Absolutely. So you go as far as Hexham, I think, is that Hexham, right? Hexham, yeah. yeah. And uh, you have and a... Dales. We've always been, had this mission to reconnect the public with their food, mm. real food, mm. um, and... Uh, the soil, mm. which is the essence of, of everything. everything. The Soil Association. Very had the right few message. people understand the importance of soil, mm. least of all our politicians. What they um, don't realise is if they don't look after this planet that we're on, then we're in dire trouble because it's this planet and its systems and its cycles that look after us. Yeah, there's no planet B. There isn't, mm. no. Now we ought to talk a little bit about the production of the cheese and the yoghurts. You're very closely involved with both processes, I believe, Diane. Well, Levick makes the hard cheese. The, the, the hard cheese, the one with the real history, yeah. is the... Um, the sort of main mainstay of the business. What's the quality of that the bird Oswald cheese, as you call it? What's it taste like? Well, I'd call it mellow, mm -hmm. but um, it's difficult to say because when customers taste it on the market, customer number one will come along and say, oh, that's a strong cheese. The next one, two minutes later, comes along and says, oh, that's mild. Even the cheese experts um, as they call themselves, the chefs and, and the cheese buyers and what have you, um, they don't know this cheese. It's a very rare cheese. This is a cheese which is known as the Ayrshire sweet milk cheese. Right. It's known throughout Scotland as the sweet milk cheese. Rabbi Burns gave it the name in the 18th century. The recipe was brought in from Ireland in the 17th century to make the first hard cheese that was made in Scotland. And it was yeah. made with milk from what were then the Dunlop cows. Mm. And so because the recipe came to a farm between Dunlop and Stewarton, mm -hmm. made with milk from the Dunlop cow, right. uh, it, was, it is known in its ancestral home as the Dunlop cheese. As a result of the success of this cheese, the Dunlop cow was bred specifically to produce milk to make this cheese and became the Ayrshire breed. Right. So that's the origin of the Ayrshire cow mm. and it's also the origin of the sweet milk cheese. And brilliant. Well, that would be fascinating, Diane. We'll, we'll move on, I think, now. Fabulous. <laughs> well, Diane, you brought me into the packing room. I can uh -huh. hear the refrigerator working here. Yeah, here's the, the refrigerator. Oh, what have we got in here? Stacked full of yogurt at the minute. 
all ready for going out on deliveries um, this weekend, early next week, and to the farmers market on uh, on Saturday. What's it, the process that created that? The process that creates that. Well, we'll shut the door again now. Um, keep it cold. You heat the milk up to a very high temperature um, because to culture the yogurt organism that gives it that yogurt flavour rather than a cheese flavour. We have a very small herd and even though we're farming um, 112 acres of our own and another 100 acres in conjunction with somebody else mm -hmm. who's organic locally, um, we're a small unit, a small concern in today's Steve, terms, yeah, yes. I it. mean, when I was, when I were a lass, as you could say, um, the, uh, that size of farm, our size of farm, would have been a big farm. Quite. I would never have dreamt that we would be farming a farm that size. No, right. um, the ambitious it felt, yeah. But, uh, believe it or not, we came here with more cows than what we've got now. But the land now won't carry the number of cows that we had then right. because of climate change. Right. Climate change has had a big impact here because the, the rainfall has increased so much. Mm. I couldn't say exactly how much, but if you got the data from Spade Adam, I think you'd find a phenomenal increase in... Um, in rain and the season that we get it mm. you know yeah. we, we didn't used to get a whole load of rain in summer yeah but we do nowadays apart from this summer which has been well, really exceptional yeah but climate change again you just don't know what's going to happen from year to year it's making farming very difficult because the essence of farming is to be able to plan ahead you know to sow your crops in season to harvest them in season even if it is only grass and clover and chicory and stuff that we grow. Um, but now, where the heck are the seasons? Yeah, and then yeah. we've got the political mayhem of Brexit. It's uh, yeah, well, the least said about that nonsense, the better. How we're going to come out of that, I really don't know. But we, we just have people who have no concept whatsoever about the production of food, the stability of food, sustainability of food, food security on an island like this, you know, they're, they're just going along in blissful ignorance. Yeah, and it really is time they got themselves sorted. informed because food, staff of life, we, we persist in short-term gain making a big mess for future generations to contend with, well, yeah. which goes right against the essence of our farming Absolutely. policy. Our farming policy is to leave the land in better condition for mm -hmm. the next generation than what we find it. To, to look after it, to look after our environment, because we have stewardship of it. But it used to frustrate me greatly that um, I was getting nowhere in making a difference but I've come to the conclusion that everybody has to do what they can get together and go for it <laughs> thank you so much for giving us your time on your farm we really have enjoyed it pleasure Mark
Well, I've headed away from Stackhouse Farm and the wonderful company of Diane and Eric Horn, and uh, I'm heading up to reconnect with the Maiden Way, having already walked a little bit when we walked around the farm itself. And uh, I'm going to turn left, that's south, um, towards Bird Oswald. And the day's really improved radically. It just goes to show the contrast in the weather up in Cumbria, because we're quite close to the seaboard of the Solway and so on. And so you get this wonderful southwesterly change in climate. Well, I come through the hand gate off the road, and they're coming down a pasture towards the broad area in the valley bottom, the Midgeholme Moss. And uh, I'm flanked by strips of woodland and trees as Scots pines, which are often associated with drove routes. And this is a, an old drove route, as well as being a Roman road. There used to be a market in Gilsland, a uh, cattle market. Um, and there's lots of little copses of trees, of uh, mature oaks, sycamores, uh, conifers over here to the left. And ahead of us, you can see the moorland uh, of the Pennines. Uh, you can see uh, Blenkinsop Common and uh, Cold Fell, which is the northernmost 2,000-foot hill in the Pennines. This is very much cattle and sheep country. Uh, I can see a few sheep over to my right. Uh, uh, but we're now stepping down into the rushes of Midgeholm Moss. And the interesting thing about Midgeholm, it's where the Romans got their turves when they built the original uh, Hadrian's Wall from the earthing west because they didn't build it of stone. They made an earth bank, which had been the traditional way of making a frontier or boundary in Roman times. And of course, after the Romans, of course, they did the same too. You can think of features like Offa's Dyke. That was built of turf as well. Um, but it was just Hadrian's passion for stone and architecture that brought about this fixation just at that one time for making it out of stone. This Roman road I'm on, the Maiden Way, runs from Bird Oswald Roman Fort, northwest, to Bewcastle, which was known to the Romans as Phanum Coxidi, Coxidi being the Celtic god that was venerated there. Uh, and one of my ideas that I recently put forward was to use this bridleway up to Bewcastle and then on via Kershaw Bridge and Newcastleton Forest to get past the border stain. Uh, and get to Newcastleton itself in Liddlesdale and create this as a new western arm to the Pennine Way. In effect, from Gilsland or Greenhead, off Blenkinsop Common, Greenhead, Gilsland, and then through this way up, heading northwest, to make a new dynamic through the debatable lands, uh, a quicker way into Scotland than the current Pennine Way, but actually bringing new life and energy to the active tourism of the area and linking it through a landscape that which is authentic to the Pennines and one which is rendered with lots of history, a droving route, a historic route from the Romans, and one that stretches back a long time, but actually can have a dynamism uh, and give a new energy to the Pennine Way idea and link into the Scottish ambition to cultivate active tourism. I've come into the farmyard of Bird Oswald, just breaking off from the path, strictly off the National Trail at the beginning, uh, just as we've met it. 
and uh, I'm coming to what is was the far working farm, uh, which Mike Baxter at Kiln Hill, uh, whose land we've just walked across, he was born here, and he he's told me in the past that uh, wearing muddy boots in this farmyard, and you can't imagine that now. It's uh, a pristine and beautifully presented English heritage exhibition fort. The immediate vicinity is a farmyard area, which is just a reception with a cafe and so forth. The fort itself is beyond the farmhouse, Banner Roman Fort, and you can see the excavated area beyond the reception area, which we're not looking at today. And you can see the site of the granary. Uh, there was a basilica building there, which is like an indoor exercise area. It was a cavalry fort at the beginnings of a Roman road that went north over Gillilee's Beacon to Bewcastle which is of course the Maiden Way and the, what I call the Via Scotia, the way to Scotland, and it, the way the military intelligence travelled, the Explorata. Uh, and it's sitting on the wall uh, every five or so miles along Hadrian's Wall, there were a sequence of forts. And these were the key points for controlling and managing the life of, of the war for the garrisons over a 300-year period from 122 until 410 AD. Well, I'm leaving the fort vicinity, the farmyard in effect, and we're about to embark on just a mile length of the National Trail, which is one of the family of a dozen or so National Trails in England and Wales. Uh, the bit of Roman wall that we see here is the longest stretch of continuous consolidated wall. So it really is a handsome thing to observe and we'll find a, a turret in a moment. But it's a, quite a blowy day today and we're heading into the wind, of course walking west, so we get a real feel for the drama of the setting. Having followed a lovely section of consolidated wall, I've come to the very first turret that we'll see today, uh, 49B, there were two turrets in each Roman mile along the wall uh, and uh, to, just to the right of it you can see a natural drain in the bottom course of the, of the wall um, because that proves that when the Romans were built it it was damp ground then and they had to allow for water to flow naturally underneath it and you see a little bit of a, a low entrance point it's a very low bit of a turret but you can see where the actual doorway was into the interior and there would have been two floors and a, a viewing platform at the top so with wooden steps perhaps or even stone steps but there's no evidence of the steps in there now it's completely cleared out and of course the people on the viewing platform of the watchtower would have been looking north and south because one tends to think of the Roman wall as like a battlements of a castle where you're looking out to the world beyond. And of course, okay, the most volatile and uh, troublesome area of Hadrian's Wall was in this northwestern sector of it. But actually, the wall itself was there a way of defining the jurisdiction of the Roman Empire to the south and containing people. If we walk a few paces down from this turret, in the top course of the uh, consolidated war, you can see uh, a Roman phallic symbol pointing east. 
Now, this was a sign of vigour of the legion who built the actual wall itself. There were five legions building the wall, and periodically they would put symbols of good luck or vigour on the wall to symbolise their confidence in the future of the wall being a significant thing. They were, they were imposing it on the landscape and they wanted to impose their personality on it, and that was one way of showing it. There was a, a horse uh, phallic symbol on the uh, interior of the Roman fort itself, which was a cavalry fort, and that would explain that. Anyway, we'll walk a bit further while we've still got a reconsolidated wall to look at, heading west. I've headed over the brow, over that stile, and I get to a, a magical moment where, to the south, the sun is shining on Coldfell, the northernmost sentinel of the Pennines, 2,000 foot high. And looking southwest, I can see the Lakeland Fells. I can see Blencathra and Skidder and Carrick Fell, and just see Helvellyn. And then just beyond uh, Brampton Rig, you can see the Solway Plain. And I swing round a little further to Watch Hill and Gillilee's Beacon, which um, forms the boundary between Bewcastle and Gilsland, the, this landscape I'm in now. And then the border forest, the Spade Adam Forest, conifers stretching away. And I'm now looking east and I can just see through beyond Bird Oswald Fort, a little section of, of the wind sill. It's uh, Windshields Crag, the craggy hill where the wind blows and the wind blowing now. And just a magical moment, no, nowhere else in Cumbria has quite such a, a, a grasp of, of the whole scale of the landscape. A big sky, but a big foreground as well. It's fabulous. Well, I've come through one kissing gate. There's another one to come. And in front of me, I can see a large flock of Swaledale sheep with a few Suffolk sheep and a few Galloway cattle. And just over to my left, I can see the farmyard of High House Farm, just above the Ballam Banks, the very striking feature. And High House Farm is our next destination. But the National Trail does go on uh, beyond Walburn, the trees ahead of us, and on towards Banks and on uh, towards Walton and so forth. So that's, a, that's the lure that most people will know about. But my lure to now is to go to High House Farm and to meet the grand lady, Hilda Noble, who is so authentic and genuine. I really want to introduce her to you. Well, it's lovely to see you, Hilda, and it's gracious of you to invite us here. Farming is part of your life. Where did you, where did your family come from? I'm rather interested to know. Well, I was bred and born in Bewcastle. And we moved here in, in 1948. How old were you then? I was six. Goodness me, <laughs> right. I was six years old. Yeah, not long ago then. Ha <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I went to Gilsland School. Mm -hmm. And then I went to Brampton to the Rhine Valley School. Right. But so my father was at Bewcastle. He started farming in 1931. Right, yes. The stories he used to tell me was, was that he said his geese at Christmas made 15 shillings. Crikey. That's and a lot the of lambs, money. And the lambs made 12 and 6. 
So that, that, that was 1931. Wow. Now, you, you could trace the noble family back a long way. They, they lived at Crewe, if I remember at one time. Ah, yes. My great-grandfather was at the Crewe. Mm -hmm. And um, they would farm up there. And there were drovers. Right. They used to go away up in the far north of Scotland and they would buy <coughs> buying sheep and lambs and, and fetch them down mm -hmm. and and sell them off, you know. Quite. But it all would be hard times then, you know. Oh gosh, yes. And and they used to carry oatmeal. Carry oatmeal? They used to carry oatmeal with them. And when he come to a, a, a well or spring or or, or water you used to mix this, this oatmeal up yes. with water mm -hmm. and he carried a little basin to put it in <laughs> and on the route he lost it. No! <laughs> so but, how did he cope with that? Oh well, he wasn't beat. He took a boot off <laughs> and he put it in the heel of the boot <laughs> and mixed it up there. Oh, right. well that, that, that's resourceful, oh, isn't oh, it? Yeah. I, because the Roman road, as it was, was a bit of a droving route. And, of course, Gilson had its market up until oh, yes. 20 or 30 years ago. Was about 30 years ago, Gilson lost its market? Aye, it had a market at Gilson. So it was always a focus. But, but there was a lot of markets around the boat, and they've all gone. There was one at Carcambeck, mm -hmm. and one at Roadhead. Was there really? And Holtwistle. Mm. And they've all gone. But thank goodness for Longtown. And we've got Longtown, and we've got Carlisle, mm -hmm. and Newcastleton. It's a very old right. auction. Yes, of course. It is hanging yes. on. That's it. So this Roman road and the route into Littlesdale, it's part of this droving tradition, this business that farmers were linked with their economy, with them moving through the landscape. And I, I was talking to Eric, and he was telling me about Brian Jeffries, who liked, used to walk the Roman road and talk to the farmers on the way through. Right. Uh, and there was Brian Laidlaw. Is, it, is that somebody you oh, know? Oh, yes. Brian used to work here. Did he? He helped us. He used to work here and helped us in the hay time with the with the hay and that. And he was a very good stone waller. Ah. He, he, he originally worked on the Roman wall, building building the stones. I see. Right. And uh, yes. he was a good stone waller, Brian. Yeah. But he, he loved his hunting. Oh right. He was a great great fellow for the hounds and the hunting. Right. And he liked uh, hound trails and all. Them were the things he liked, but sadly he took that motor neuron disease. Ah, right. And and died. And died. Uh, now you've always been very active, and you've always liked dancing and things of that, and that sort. Oh yes. You've always been like folk, country dancing was Kelly's. Kelly's. Kelly, you kind of beat a good Scotch music and a and a good reel or two. Ah, really. And working on this farm has meant that you've had to be fit for all your oh, life. Oh, yes. Uh -huh. This is this is not s for softies, not for people no, like me. No, it's not for the fit. <laughs> <laughs> no, and you get seasons like this where you have this long dry period and then you get the wet period. And it, it's just part and parcel. We talk about climate change, but actually it's always changing here and you, and you have to adapt. And that's one of the things about being a noble. 
You, uh, well, <laughs> you, I don't know. I, don't I still like my old, my old ways. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely fabulous. <laughs> I, uh, I think sometimes they are the best. They absolutely. I was just looking at the setting we're in. The uh, the yard is a cobbled yard. Half of oh, it's still got the old cobbling, and you have you got the red doors. That's oh, well, you've always had the red doors, have you? Is that the pattern? Oh, there's always been red. Because the they want them tidying up now, but it's a, it's it's a hard job finding joiners and folk to do these bits of jobs. Indeed. And over the door over there, and the date stone of 1771, is it, or something? But this is interesting, you've got a crenellated archway Aye. looking south over the Earthing Valley, which is a lovely little feature, but it was a Victorian addition, isn't it, really? They said Prince Charlie went through there. Did he? There you are. <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't blame him. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it would be a bonny thing for him to have done. And there's some fabulous stones in here. They're all square. Uh, they're all off the Roman wall, I would think. Yeah, absolutely fabulous. And they got low calf sheds on the Aye. north side. Is that what would you you call them? Calf sheds? What would you call them? Sheds, and then there was a, that little one. There's a buyer. A buyer. And the corner there's a stable. Right. Every farmyard would oh, have a stable. I know they'd have a stable because they'd no else. They just had horses in them mm. times, you know. When we came, we just had horses when we came in 1948. Crikey. My father couldn't drive anything. He never had any machinery, like tractors or car or no. nothing. It was... It, 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 it was Shank's pony. Shank's <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I because I, I can remember having a Minneapolis Moline and an Alice Charmer when right. I was young. But uh, well, you, you've got Fergie here. I bought a little grey Fergie tractor, maybe... T20s? Maybe in about the 1950s somewhere. Yes, yes. It was, it, it was a little handy, nappy little tractor. Oh, yes, it's like a quads of the modern uh, age. We've got the work done with it, like, but no, you have to have all this great big tackle. Yes. And, and you know, you need farther you know further forward. No farther forward with it. No, no, quite you just not. Get, you just get an odd day and everybody has to just about break the neck when it comes. Hilda, oh. <laughs> what sort of changes have you been aware of from 1948 when you came here at the age of six? Well, they seemed to be changing all the time. At once over, there was most of folk had black-faced ewes or swaledale ewes. Mm -hmm. And the bread mule lambs or, or, or black facings for their own use. Mm -hmm. But now they're crossing all sorts of different types and breeds. Mm. And what they're doing now is they're going to, they're, they're going to what the market wants. Mm. You see, if they want the these modern kind, you know, like Texels and Beltex and all these, they're, they're sort of, some of them have been fun, which, you know, these Dutch Texels and things. Yes. And and uh, the thing is, they've got a big hold, and if they want them kind, then the butchers want them. Well, the farmers, a lot of the farmers, will change and to try and hit a decent market. But but you've got to think about what your land is, and yes. you, you've got to just keep what what you can carry, what's more suitable for the ground. And this dry patch that you've had in May and June, and July particularly, uh, <laughs> that meant that there wasn't the oh, hay, hay for the winter. There's a shortage. Um, we had a very wet, cold winter, cold winter with that beast for the east. Yeah, right at the tail end. And it kick was at the a end. late spring. There was no growth, at, you know, late. Mm -hmm. And then this heat wave came. Yes. 
And then it, it drunkies out the land. It was dried up. There wasn't a drop of water in the gutters. The ditches were born dry. And the stock, you know, they were badly wanting water here. Yes, quite. <coughs> Interesting, I think any, anybody listening to this will hear the, all this sort of honest despondency, but it's counterbalanced by a resilience that you've got. This is why you're still here and why all the farmers who are still farming want to farm. They believe in what they're doing and, uh, and that transcends the difficulties and you'll stick it through. And, uh, and that's always a, a uplifting for anybody who's not used to uh, the country life. No, well, I've never been used to anything else. Mm. Blood and born on the farm, and when I was born, I was prematurely born, and I was four pound weight. No. <laughs> I'm not <laughs> expected to live. <laughs> that's, only, that's two so, bags of sugar, though. So I proved them wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they have that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we are back in the car park. I'm sitting here with Mark, and it's been um, it's been a fascinating day, Mark. <laughs> Absolutely, we are very fortunate. When you realise people like Eric, and Diane, and Hilda uh, are largely unknown by the general public, and yet when you get to know them, they are so warm and fascinating, and so connected with where they live and want to offer, and hopefully through Countries Tried, will be able to offer, an insight into a world that is as old as the hills and yet is deeply rooted and has a future, and they are determined to ensure that that future exists. Two very different styles of farming. Let's start with the cheese. The story there, very organic, very aware of the impact of their farm on, on the land there, uh, but they found a, a very niche product and they found a way to keep that business viable um, with their little tea shop as well um, and it seems to be working. Yeah, it does indeed. And that is all down to hard work and their honest approach to the, their business. They've never tried to stretch what they do and they strenuously every week go to all the farmers markets in a regular pattern in a broad area from Hexham down to Stanhope up to uh, Brampton and round and have built up a profile and an audience and a receptive appreciation group of people who really value what they produce and they are great advocates and people who know them uh, uh, are um, very fortunate because there's not not enough people like them around. They spoke at length about the, the engagement with people, um, we, we, with not just their customers, but also people who come to the tea room. That public-facing part of what they do and that gentle education is important to them. Mm, yeah, they see, they see climate change, they see the changing seasons, but they have this consistency about what they're trying to achieve. Their product, their, that cheese, their herd, those airshires, their land and the soil itself, that is where they are rooted. Hilda's farm was a, a very different kind of farm. More traditional, I think, is the word used. 
Yes, um, she is rooted in that landscape and she knows what works there and what doesn't work. She's kept it going and it's a great deal to do with not just hard work, but she's well connected with her mm. neighbours. So you can sense a very definite community of farmers who know and support one another and, and in her voice and her warmth and her understanding of what she's doing. She offers a tremendous amount. So you have two different sides within the same, uh, almost neighbours, and yet they are representing two philosophies. More than a few times, uh, Hilda was saying, I, I just can't find the farming professionals I used to be able to find, whether it's shearers or whether it is joiners uh, to, to come and mend barns. They're struggling now to find professionals you can't hide from the truth when you speak to somebody like Hilda. Mm. All the fundamental elements are being broken down. And uh, it is, it's easy to get despondent, but of course these people are people who are absolutely determined to survive. Mm. And when you think of all the hard times in the last century, you know, two world wars, and it's only the farmers have kept us fed. Uh, and we're, we're almost going into a phase of another war with trade wars and Brexit and so forth where we don't know where the future is leading us mm. and, and the farming communities are still wanting to do the job. There will always be honest people who will try against the odds but we need more of them. We need people who understand the geology and the archaeology and the heritage that they live in and they carry it forward with pride. The walk itself was a short country stride today, Mark. A country step or two. <laughs> oh, I didn't want to make it a long one today because I knew we had so much fascination to, uh, to listen to. And uh, one can walk along the National Trail and see nothing. Uh, or you can see just the archaeology or the Roman wall and, and be quite content with that. Or the wind blowing in your face or the rain on your back. Fine. We had all of that. We had all of that and I, I really wanted the people. And I think Country Stride mm. is all about people. It is, isn't it? We are nearly done for the day and, and for this episode of Country Stride. Thank you very much for leading our walk and introducing us all to um, four fine people today. My pleasure. My pleasure.